Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I'd also appreciate if you took a moment to follow on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I also have to let you know that Volume 39 of Elwood Hubbard Presents Rise of the Future is available in bookstores throughout the U.S., Canada, the U.K., South Africa, and Australia, as well as through all major online retailers. So whether you're looking to discover top new voices in the genre or an aspiring writer or artist looking to see what these artists have done to win, this book is for you. So I'm uh, recording today in the Writers at Future Lounge. I've been all over the place over the last uh, little bit, and I've got guest Barbara Lund. I last interviewed her, or I first interviewed her, uh, when she was out here as a winner for Writers at Future. She's the grand prize winner. And um, we hooked up again recently in uh, Salt Lake City at the... Um, Fanex convention there, the annual Fanex convention. She was there at our booth signing. And um, I really wanted to, I mean, I saw the book she had there, so I, and I hadn't read them, so I wanted to read one. So I said, send me a book so I can read it and then we can interview on this podcast because I, I really like her storytelling ability. So welcome, Barbara. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I guess, because um, we went over all kinds of stuff just talking at, at the um at the convention there. So you've, I mean, I've got in front of me here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books. And I read the first one here, platform eight, which is what we're going to uh, discuss here today. But also, cause you've got platform eight, which is definitely sci-fi, mm -hmm. but then you've got the first mage hiding first, uh, second mage questing last mage standing. So I'm assuming that's fantasy and not, um, sci-fi it is you got reboot which is it the cover looks like it's sci-fi it is and then lost priestess and we'll go back to fantasy and um dragon scale throne also written by the rise of future award winner barbara lund wow this is something that uh i'm probably going to read next then if you're uh, knowing that you're a rise of future winner then that means that you're absolutely a bona fide good writer <laughs> so You've written, a, you've written a lot. So I guess to begin with, because a lot of people listening to this podcast are when they just like science fiction and fantasy. They like a good story about um, writers and their personal journey. And then, then there's the writers that are looking to make their next step. So let's just talk a little bit about your beginnings as, a, as an author. And then we'll move in a little bit later on how you're, you know, what things in life have resulted in your ability to tell a good story because that's some of the stuff that Owen Hubbard's essays um, that you tip, that you uh, study when you're on the line on the uh, workshop uh, address. So let's just first of all start about your personal journey as a writer. So I was put on leave from work and at that time I had some some anger to work out and my very first book was a uh, revenge story <laughs> that will never hit the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then I remember just how much I really enjoy writing and, and have been trying to squeeze in writing into real life ever since. Well, that's pretty short and sweet. So, so I got it that 
you had your your first inspiration or the most recent inspiration was the revenge story but were you were you writing for like when you were in school was that something that you really had that you wanted to do or is this something that just kind of like evolved because you did so much writing from your work that just kind of like evolved i wrote in high school a ton and i wrote in college a little bit and then i kind of put it away as being not a money maker and not a career and Mm -hmm. then I came back to it because I just missed it so much after you know 30 years <laughs> <laughs> all right so now you've got obviously there was science fiction and fantasy so what led you towards specifically those genres as compared to detective procedural although platform eight kind of like moves in that direction but non-science fiction detective procedural how, you know, because you've definitely got a lot of experience or a lot of expertise in that area. I think it just depends on the story. Uh, I love, I read, I read everything. I read absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And I love detective stories and I love heist stories, but I just like <laughs> to see them in a little bit different of a, of a setting because my own personal setting isn't that fun. So <laughs> I want to play with the yeah. setting. Okay. It's interesting that you say that your own setting isn't that fun because there's one of the essays that I think is search for research where Owen Hubbard talks about, you know, a person can be in his own community and writing, you know, says, well, there's nothing exciting here. There's nothing. And then somebody else from outside comes in and he talks to people at the corner, you know, drugstore and does it and then writes this bestseller. Like, how do you do that? He just came in and, you know, it's, it's also, there's a, the sense of freshness or something dealing with, you know, uh, one's own subject matter. Again, Owen Hubbard talked about how of all the Western writers, save, you know, that were writing a lot of time, save Louis L'Amour, he was one of the only ones that actually had a history of growing up in the West and writing a bronc at a young age and breaking this and doing that and the other thing. And he said, I couldn't sell a Western for the life of me, you know? So there's that sense of like, you've got to really realize what you've got there to be able to, you know, to see it and go like, make it something that's really interesting that somebody will get. And so when I read like platform eight, it wasn't just a hard sci-fi, you know, who done it. It was, I mean, what you had, the uh, I guess the main detective, she herself had somewhat of a of a broken past or a, a, a bum rap, you know, that had happened to her. And she went ahead and still made her mark, you know, applying what she had there. So I was just curious, the characters in here, the um, um, the scenarios, you know, where did you come up with those ideas? How much it was based on real life? How much it was based on just imagination or a combo? Definitely a combination. Um, I like to work out some of the issues with work or, or take some scenarios from work and then put them somewhere that's fresh for me. Because when you write, you have mm -hmm. to read it over and over and over to get it right. So I didn't want to yeah. be bored, but also I do have a lot of experience in that. Yeah. Yeah. Because one thing I will say, if anybody likes pr police procedurals, and it's it's a real popular genre. I mean, there's there's just 
so many sold and you look on the New York Times bestseller list and so frequently you see them on there. So there's a definite audience for them. But this book here, The Platform 8, the way you wrote it too is was interesting because it's like they're not – at first I thought, are these just little short stories that she just put together and realized that it's an actual – like maybe it's a journal type of a – what type of storytelling line is this that what you've done with this? So it was definitely started as short stories, but with that intention to eventually bundle them all together. So it's got a complete arc. So the, yeah, it was, so I thought that's what you're doing with short stories, but the arc is like, is solid. It's just, it's moving all the way through it. It's, it's cohesive, which short stories, you don't get that usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the intent pretty much as soon as I wrote the first and second one. I decided that I was gonna going to put them all together. Yeah, because it's good how it just goes the whole thing, and um, um, it's definitely gritty. There's no lack of grittiness in your storytelling. It's not light and fluffy, but no, but it's also I don't I don't mind grit usually, um, but I like it when I know that a story is going to at least come to the denouement, the, the end of it's going to have some type of a resolution that is an uptick, you know, that's, yes. you know, life is worth living. It's worth going on, you know, and it's not like just, you know, no matter what you try, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not into those types of storytelling. I won't, inv- I won't invite those types of authors as my guests. That's not my, my thing. Yeah. It's you know? super important to me to have, it may not be a happy ending, but it will be a good ending. Yeah. To to have that future look of of hope. Yeah, and that's what I get out of this thing. It's not like, kid, this is not a fairy tale. You know, I haven't read the first mage and all those things here. Maybe those are because that's fantasy. But platform eight isn't a fairy tale, but it does have that uptick, and there is hope. You know, you definitely live with that hope, and it's like, okay, good, and it's real. It's, it's very real, like what's going on there, and it's very plausible with future technologies being applied to, you know, police procedural type of storytelling. But it's it's got that that feeling of hope that if you persist, you don't give up, you maintain some shred of dignity with your, you know holding on to your own honor on something, that things will come off you know okay, and. The other thing, too, I get out of this is, is friendship, you know, the importance of friendship, which is which is probably what lingers with me the most, you know, the importance of a friendship and I've got your back, you know. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you've had experiences where somebody didn't have your back like they were supposed to, but in this story here, you know, it, it happens, which is good. All right, so now what's your what's – your, um, your writing procedure. How do you go about it? Do you like get up early in the morning or because I know you've had a pretty steady job in terms of schedule wise. And then you're a full-time, well, I don't know how much you're a full-time mom anymore, but you're a mom, you're breadwinner and you're an author. So how do you juggle those things to make it all work? Cause you've written a lot. So I had to realize that I wasn't going to write every day. That works for a lot of people and it doesn't work for me because of my job. It's very, very demanding and it's 410. So at the end of that day, 
or at the beginning of that day, it's just not going to happen. So I write on the weekends um, or when I can sneak in holidays or some, t- some extra time off. And it's, it is whenever I get alone time, whether it's early morning or later at night. Right. Okay. So you have that. So how do you go about with your stories? Like I said, like we talked about already on platform eight, it's a series of short stories. Are you uh, the common term you got plotters and, and pantsers? So you obviously had a bit of a plot on platform eight because you, you had, you strung something together to come up to a beginning and an end with a bunch of, you know, different episodes, episodic type thing. How do you go about your story creation? I generally have the end in mind and then I get the beginning and then I work midpoints in between. So once I have the end and the beginning, I'll hit the midpoint and then I'll try and work backwards to kind of plot. I'm not a big plotter, but I have the main uh, high points I want to hit. Right. So have you ever had a story where you've, you worked out the ending and you do your beginning and then those darn characters took it to a different direction and the ending no longer worked for what happened to the characters? So yes and no. And um, generally, at least the idea of the ending sticks. But with the uh-huh. uh, first mage hiding, I got to the end and I, did, I realized it wasn't the end. So then I wrote <laughs> an additional uh, two, three, four, five chapters. So it's pretty rare though. Pretty much my endings usually stick uh, just because right. it's, it's not so detailed and so finite. It's more of an idea of where I want to end. Right, right. All right. So now as you're the grand prize winner in Writers of the Future. So let's talk a little bit about that journey there as with Writers of the Future, how that came about, how you, how you learned about it, um, how many times you entered and then we'll get into what it was like when you came out. I learned about it on a writer's forum that is uh, Holly Lyle's classes, writers, and uh, she's amazing. She's a great mentor for me. And mm-hmm. I did it kind of the wrong way around. I never read any of the Writers of the Future books. I just was told, hey, this is a free contest. Start entering. And so I did. <laughs> it took me several times, uh, probably 15 or so entries, maybe 20 over three or four years, right? But, mm-hmm. uh, I was getting sometimes no placement, sometimes silver honorable mentions, sometimes honorable mentions. And then all of a sudden, I had the, the first place that was so amazing. So... um you were published in volume, was it 38? 37. 37. So on that story there, what was the inspiration for that one? That was a dream. I, I do a lot of, I have a lot of, I wake up and then I've got the idea, sometimes a full trilogy in my head. <laughs> and then I have to try and figure out how to make it into a story. Um, I was uh-huh. getting Dave Wolverton's weekly emails and, just learned so much from from those and took that story to I think a whole new level for me and then entered yeah. it for both of you guys. Yeah, his uh, his he was known as the story doctor. Yes. And he was definitely good at helping helping people. So all right, so you did like that. So now in terms of of your 
you know, where you get your story ideas from. So you got, we got the dreams. What about characters? Do people in your life end up in your books at all? Maybe parts. Usually not the whole. Their, their arms and legs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or a, a bad habit here or a good habit there or mm. a, an attitude about a specific thing. Um, generally, it's not the whole person. And if it is, I like yeah. to disguise them very, very much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Again, now back to your writing procedure. So now you, so you write early morning or you just weekends. So like you just do it when you have time. But you also had all your, your kids. I, I don't know how old they are now, but as you've been writing over the last, you know, at least half a dozen years or so, how did you work that in? Because we got people that, Oh, I'd love to write if I only had time. You know, that's like a real common excuse to not writing is I don't have time. And that's probably number one. And it's already been, that story's already been told before. Or they, they buy the first a bit of invalidation to get from somebody else and they just stop. So how are you able to do that from the perspective of someone else trying desperately to hold on to this idea that there's no time? I stopped watching TV. There you go. And uh, when I'm in the thick of writing, I cut way, way back on social media and anything having to do with games or phones or any sort of screen that's not writing. I'll do maybe five minutes on a writing forum and then go into writing. I cut way, way back on everything else. And then... That's... Yeah. That's a good point on that, what you said, but we'll, we'll get back to it. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so, so the not giving up part, I'm stubborn. And I think you have to just <laughs> like lean into stubborn to, to keep going because sometimes it is sad or, or disappointing or frustrating. And I'm just a stubborn person that I'm not going to give it up. Even it's So it's spite writing, really. I spite write. <laughs> okay, well, that's going to give somebody else a, a, an ability to and out. I know it's spiteful. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to everybody. So to distill that down, something that would be more of a, a, a common base then would be, I know some people write because they can't not write, mm -hmm. but you know, so there's that, but if someone doesn't have that, that urgency or that desire, I think what you said is like, just checklisting off things where, you know, like working out like, your vital targets of living, priorities. you know, okay. It's vital. Yeah. Your priorities mm -hmm. like, well, I got to work cause I got to have my house. And if I'm not going to have money, then I'm not going to have my house. I need to have food. I got kids. So I got to give time for my kids. So you got your priority stuff there, but then, okay, I've got my favorite TV show. Okay. Maybe that can be ticked off is like, it's not essential. Well, I need it for inspiration. Do you really need it for your inspiration? You know, I, I need to keep up with all the social media because that's why I found out what's going on. Is that really true or is that more delusion? You know, so like really working out what is important to you. If you, if you really want to be a writer and want to get something written, did you, did you have any problem with, I mean, some people will take a story, they'll write it and they rewrite it and rewrite it. It's my story, you know, and they can't get over their story. <clears throat> they have to, they can't see the idea like a writer writes. And so you have to be able to write, okay, get rid of that. Start a new idea, new idea, new idea, new idea, new story, new story, new story. And I know that 
Hubbard and several of the other judges that you throw away your first half a million million words until you build up your own voice because you're really not going to have a voice at the very beginning. You're going to be emulating others or something that's not just you. So how how'd that work with you saying what I just said? I did write a couple books before I got to a point where I felt happy with my voice. And as I continue to write, I can see the progression. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I debate on which book I should ask people to write because it's the, I can say, read the first book I wrote and published and then go through to see my progression as a writer or just start with the best one, which is always the most recent. Sure. So I think though finishing is super important and editing, revising is so important for voice and for learning. And uh, that's part of why I do novels and short stories, because with a short story, mm -hmm. you can iterate faster. You can write it, you right. can revise it, you can revise it again, and you can send it, submit it. Because if you're not submitting, right. then it's uh, in you, you and you have to have your own path, right? But if you're not submitting, then you don't want to submit. There's if there's always an excuse, then that's not as important to you. So, I, I love the short stories for the iteration of getting better faster. Well, that's um, that makes a lot of sense on that, and it's um, the other thing too is just the joy of creating. You know, just being happy. You're just putting something to paper, it's your idea, you're, you're making it materialize. What do you find it does for you personally as a writer, you know, knowing that you've written something it's, and here it is, it's, it's published. It's your, I remember I interviewed Emma McCaffrey once and she said it was just, for her, it was such a thrill to write a book. And there it was, there's my name on the cover. It's like, it's me, it's mine, you know, it's all mine. And she just, that was one of her thrills that she had when she would write her books and see them published with her name on it. Yes, absolutely. To hold it in my hand, which is why even this, the couple of the shorter ones I did as a print version, mm -hmm. just to be able to hold it in my hand and say, this, I did this thing and it's tangible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Yeah. So on, um, now when you did, you know, so you entered and then you won, any particular anecdote about getting the call from uh, Joni that you had had won either as a finalist or that you were chosen as the as the winner? Not the grand prize winner, but as a, as a winner that you're going to be coming out to Hollywood. Well, apparently the tear ducts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tear ducts work because I didn't expect it, apparently, and it completely evidently. surprised me. And apparently, I cried. <laughs> my go-to surprise. <laughs> It was so exciting. She was so great because I'd met her several times and she was, she was, I think, just as excited to tell me. Mm -hmm. So that was yeah, she loves that. Amazing. It was a very fun part of what she does. And then uh, now we're, now we're to Hollywood. We're going to skip forward now to the actual award ceremony. So um, what was that like when, you know, there, um, I know what you said on stage, but just in a fresh unit of time here. So when Tim opened envelope and they read you know, the name of your story and said your name, what happened? I didn't believe it. <laughs> I sat there for a second trying to process because I was convinced it was Chris or one of the other guys that, that had won the, 
of the first place in the same year. And <laughs> again, tears work, apparently. Tear ducts were a thing. So it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. Yeah. What were your kids? Were they watching? No, they were busy with other things. Uh, they couldn't come and they were busy. My husband was watching and <laughs> he laughed at me because that's what we do. That's good. <laughs> All right. So but he was excited um, for me. So let's talk about a little bit about the workshop week. What did you get? What was it like now, a couple years later, what's the most, some of the most lasting memories for you of that workshop? The quality of the teachers that you bring to that workshop was incredible. Um, I still have the, the worksheets with the dice, with the random generator to build a story just out of random pieces. Uh-huh. And I loved That's that. That's Nina Kariki Hoffman that has that. Yes. That was amazing. Um, I liked the write a story in 24 hours, but that wasn't super new to me. I'd done that before, but it was fun to do it with other people and mm-hmm. uh, have a, a thing to go write as an inspiration. That was a little bit new of a take for me. It was meetings, just wonderful. The judges and the teacher, everybody was so nice and so willing to help and so kind. I, it was an amazing experience. That's good. Yeah. The, um, when I read your book, Platform 8, the, um, there were two S's that came to mind that are taught in, in the workshop. One is circulate, and the other one is search for research. And on the circulate, that's where he goes into um, what he learned from Jack London on going out and, and meeting other people. At, in a He'd borrow a dollar, a silver dollar from somebody, and he'd go and just you know, buy a, a sailor just in from the ocean, a drink and just ply him for just what happened just to get ideas and thoughts and stuff. So um, anything from these essays, that one there, and then, and then the search for research, that's the one we talked about a little bit at the beginning of this interview was the whole concept of doing your research and really being familiar with the, with the subject. I think that's the one he also talks about, um, the Coast Guard you know, he wrote that Coast Guard story and it just didn't sell because he didn't really know the Coast Guard. So he actually went and researched it. And then the story was like instantly sold because it now it was true to what it was supposed to be about. So anything about these essays um, or what you were taught that has proven to be a value for you? Because I'm also interested in people taking the online writing workshop and because we've had over 8,000 people uh, sign up for it and, and either finish it or getting through it. So just more inspiration for where they should actually do this course. Oh, absolutely. The uh, Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. And almost everyone is really happy to tell you about it. So I think anyone who's willing to listen can uh, learn from anyone, learn about cultures, learn about that person, learn about their experiences, and then take those little bits of inspiration and make them your own. And then also research, again, people love to talk about themselves. And if you find that expert that's willing to talk then, and you spend a couple hours with them, you just gain so much. And also the more you actually do, just like the Coast Guard, uh, if you 
really want to write about law enforcement, you need to go spend a lot of time with law enforcement or become a police officer. If you don't like how the system works, be part of the system. And if you uh, want to write good fight scenes, maybe take some martial arts classes. If you want to write about parenting and you don't have kids, you're going to need to talk to people and probably spend some time with kids or be a teacher or spend that time and, and learn those things to make the story ring true. That makes sense on that. And it's, we used to have a thing in the workshop pre-pandemic where all the winners would go out on Hollywood Boulevard and meet a stranger and they talk to them and they just, they have to get over whatever considerations they'd have on talking to strangers, you know, but when they started doing it, they found out the most amazing stories, even costume characters on Hollywood Boulevard or different people you see there. You know, one guy went and got his hair cut and just to talk to the, to the barber. And, uh, they were amazed. Everybody's got a story. I mean, it's, you know, to think, okay, that person's just, uh, no, they've got a story. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to actually get into somebody's, you know, nooks and crannies of life and experience that, uh, you're going to, it's going to be very superficial what you're writing. Mm-hmm. And it's real in your stories that you write. I mean, you've got some cardboard characters, but they're the incidental people that aren't going to matter anyway, because you can't make everybody you know, an A-lister in a book. Mm-hmm. But the people you've got in there that that are important to moving the, your storyline along, they've got depth. They've got, they're people. They're real people. They're not, you know, they're flawed, they're, they're, but they're real flaws. And that can only come about from yourself having experienced people, having experienced, you know, the, the criminal mind, the someone who's broken, someone who's, you know, um, got their desire. They want to do good, but they're like very unreal. You know, you got those different types of people that you have in your storyline and it made it really easy to just motor through your book. Sometimes I get, cause I have to read a lot, you know, I read a lot to do all these podcasts. So with your stories, like, I like the fact that it's short stories mm-hmm. or, or that, you know, each one is, is its own, mini arc within the full arc so it's easy for me because i do it whenever i find a spare moment because i i don't have like i'm i'm a publisher i i realize i only work half days but that's 12 hours (laughs) you know um so i have to fit in reading anywhere i can and i sometimes like having the audiobook as well as the as the book so that i'm reading and then as soon as i have an opportunity when i'm driving home i'll put on i'll listen to the audiobook and then I'll go back to reading a little bit, or while I'm getting ready for something else, I'll listen. So I just I, to get through the book, and then I'm only able to do it a few pages at a time. Sometimes I can do several chapters, and it's uh, it's I like that format. I I'm sure the other ones aren't all like that, but um, that made it very easy. But I like I like the shorter chapters so I can just do these little things. But it's um your your characterizations are are very very real. So um, did that come natural for you? Did it come easy for you? Is that something that, what's been the hardest part for you to be able to learn and to establish for yourself as a writer? I always uh, want to be better at absolutely everything. So Mm -hmm. characters uh, can come fairly easy. I've probably talked to a million people. 
So if I can, <laughs> if I can think of you know one conversation and build on that, that comes fairly easy. But then layering all the different pieces in, sometimes a scene will start just dialogue, just to get the the beats of what's happening, or just action to get the beats of what is happening, and then to layer it in in a way that's not heavy handed to layer in the setting and to the descriptions and everything in a, in a way that brings it all together and works. Well, sometimes I get it right. And sometimes I have mm-hmm. an editor who is amazing. So that's good then. So then on, cause you write science fiction and fantasy. So is that, how do you work that in? Cause it seems like two, they're not diametrically opposed, but they are totally different ways of 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 writing one is you've got hard science you got you got facts you got this is a real thing and then in fantasy i haven't read your fantasies but fantasy is you can you get into the realm of magic which is as long as you have whatever rules and you stick to your rules that you set it's not science fiction so with a nod to uh writing excuses it's the sense of wonder i just love that both the science fiction and the fantasy have that sense of wonder. And that's what I try to capture, whether it's uh, in that future, where could we be if we just take this technology this specific way or in a, where would we be if it was magic instead of technology? It's always the, that, the famous quote that uh, technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic and vice versa. <laughs> Fair enough with that. You know, that's, that's observably true. But you definitely have created your own world within your own sense of magic, which isn't necessarily, you know, here's electrons molded with other molecules that makes it a ray gun. I also uh, do a ton of research. I do a ton of research. Good. And then I try to write from the perspective because I'm not a hard science person. Mm-hmm. I have my experts, but I am not personally deep into science. And so I try to write from that perspective right. of a person who's adjacent to it. So it is kind of magic rather than <laughs> writing from the technical person who's actually doing the thing. Right. But someone who's into, I mean, there's a very definite difference between science fiction and fantasy, at least from how I, how I read the stuff. So on your, but your characters, do you have, are they pretty much the same type of, of uh, characters, whether it's fantasy or science fiction, it's just a setting that changes or how does that work for you? Um, no, it, it depends on the story. It's whatever story that the character has and what, which character will tell the best story. So one of them's got a princess and one of them's got the cop and one of them's got a programmer in space. And it's very much dependent on who's going to tell me the best story. I get it. So on your, um, so now on your journey as, as an author, so you said you read uh, a lot. Has that helped you in terms of your own storytelling ability? Because that's I get that quite a bit from talking with other authors. You got to read. Absolutely. I, if you read enough, you get a feeling for how a story should go. And I always do break it down in the plotting sense. Mm-hmm. But it's so wonderful when you can just 
write it because you have a sense of where it should go. And then when you get stuck, you can go backward and plot a little bit more. Yeah. Yes. Read everything. Absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah. When we did the, um, the online workshop, I sent around um, one of the Hubbard books, uh, I think it was Fear, because I'd sent around uh, the book Fear, because that's the one that Tim Powers likes a whole lot, because of that was a that was a story that pretty much is acknowledged as the uh, the granddaddy of of the psychological thriller genre, and Stephen King gives kudos to it. Ray Bradbury, um, Robert Block, and um, so it, it's important, you know, to have you know like the people that were there before, you know, because I've seen a lot of of um, you know, people, I've seen reviews on some of the earlier Pulp Fiction stories and, you know, I, I publish all of Hubbard's works, you know, some oh yeah, that was, that storyline, that's already been used, that was written by, and then they quote somebody or they, they name somebody that wrote the story in the 60s or 70s. And then I was on, mm-hmm. this was originally written in 1940 or 1938 <laughs> or 51. Yes. When, um, Another story, which was Mike Resnick's favorite story, Typewriter in the Sky. When the movie came out, Stranger Than Fiction, one of the reviews said, this is Owen Hubbard's Typewriter in the Sky. You know, so, and then Star Wars, there's a scene in there, the, the cantina scene. That's mm-hmm. almost word for word from uh, one of his books called uh, The Kingslayer. And that's where the one guy get, hires this one pilot, you know, who's not unlike uh, the scene in Han Solo. Solo, Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, it's almost, it's in the, in the same thing. You see the same type of alien band there. They're in a, in a bar, you know, and he shoots the one guy from under the table. It's like, Mm -hmm. wow, this is just like the, you know, that. So (laughs) it gets used, it moves forward, you know, there's, but -hmm. the question is how well read are you? A lot of the, Star Trek series from the original Star Trek. Um, those were, you know, say out, out loud. That's uh, yeah, we got a lot of our stuff from Pulp Fiction. That we love that stuff. That's how we got it. You know, so for them it was just an homage too. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that if someone's not willing to read and then what expect to write something and, and be read is is um, their suspension of of disbelief is, is seriously violated because they're, there's not, they're not going to be real. You know how, like when you read, what do you, like, what do you look for when you read other people's works? I want to be entertained, Mm -hmm. but I also want it to have a heart. I want that to move me in some way. So the characterizations and the sense of wonder from the setting I have to tell you, I'm giggling because I'm totally reading, sort of. I'm off and on reading uh, Moby Dick mm-hmm. because I want to do a based on because I'm crazy. <laughs> I, I think it was a drug dream in the middle of driving back from Oregon to Utah in planes. And suddenly I had this Moby Dick and futuristic and in the, the, the grasses of nowhere story <laughs> in my head so yeah everything's been written but you can write it your own way so 
Yeah, and it's, it's yeah, it. it's, you know, oh, most everything's been written, but you take a look, or maybe plots, you know, you've got to have, um, you know, one of the things that um, Heinlein wrote about, because he and, and Hubbard were, were good buds, and he said, I always thought there were certain plot lines, and he said, I learned there's, there's uh, a new plot line that, that you created, speaking to uh, Ron Hubbard, was the man that learned better. And, um, which is what a lot of his stories are. It's like somebody, a lot of his characters are, um, somehow or another, something's wrong with them. They've got, weren't always on the right side of the law, but then they come to some type of moral crossroads and they have to deal with it and they make the right decision. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's never too late to make the right decision, to decide to do the right yeah. thing. And that's a, a commonality in a lot of his stories. And, do you have a sense of of t- a type of story that you like to tell? I love to tell things that are hard, but also end up kind of like we talked about before, end up right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, that sense of maybe everything goes wrong all along the way, and people pay the price, but there is that that hope at the end, and that's what I love to read. Uh, some the real horror stories that that uh, don't have that hope at the end. I can only read one every year or so because that's, that's hard for me to Mm. be who I am and be hopeful if I'm so deep into reading something like that. Yeah. See, that's one book a year more than I do. I just, (laughs) if I see something hidden that way, I'll take a look at the end to see, is this going to be, and then I'll just, I'm done. I'm, you know, if I want something like that, I can just turn on the news. I can read a newspaper and just get, you can get totally demoralized just reading a newspaper, you know, and realize the hopelessness of it all. Because even if something, you know, we had that recent shooting in, in Las Vegas that happened and at least the LA Times, which is notorious for being just bad news bears, they love speaking in generalities and they're just, to me, they're just nasty. But it was... All they put on the two first headlines, you know, announcements, mass shooting in Las Vegas, killer dead. And that was it. They didn't say how many people. It was just mass shooting. So you have, you can visualize, I can, mass to me is a, is a big thing. And then finally, mm-hmm. it wasn't until the next day that you found out it was three people, which is er- terrible, but that's no mass shooting, you know? Not compared to the concert one. No, you know, but that that's what they had, you know, because that's what happened before in Las Vegas. And that mm-hmm. was, that was mass, you know? Right. But they, you know, so if you want to get something that's bad news, I realize it's a total digression, but I just, you know, I just have very little sympathy or admiration for newspapers who stoke that type of, of uh, hopelessness or apathy, you know, or like fear, fear mongers. But anyway, mm-hmm. so um, no, that that's good. So on platform eight, what's your description of this story? I've been talking about it. So what you know for someone who's like, okay, so we're listening to Barbara Lund here, and so okay, I'm going to give her a shot as as a new author that, that I'm discovering right now. So what's your elevator pitch for this story? Basically, it's cops in space. If you like watching the TV show Cops, it's got that flavor. Okay, good. And then now your fantasy, because I've not read your fantasy. So what would be what would you be your recommendation for someone who enjoys fantasy more than police procedurals or science fiction? 
So the younger kind of the YA mm-hmm. crowd yeah. is going to be that the the mages series, the first mage uh, hiding, second mage questing, and last mage standing. If you want a little bit older, a little bit darker, that's the Lost Priestess. Uh, is it, it's a series. The second book just came out called The Hidden Priestess, and the first one is very much sneaky Beauty and the Beast, but she's the Beast. Wow. So, and then it's it's hard to tell once you get into reading it, but there are definitely some Beauty and the Beast um, beats throughout the first one. Does he break out into song? No songs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. okay so now on we also spoke in uh when we were in salt lake city about social media and the importance of making yourself known if you put it there they won't necessarily come and so i've read this first book i really love it and i just like oh how do we get this out there that's why i wanted to invite you onto this podcast but like you said, when you write, then you, the trade-off was that you're not doing your social media. Although social media can be two things. One, just as a, as a means of, of social engagement without a purpose other than just like to chat or to see what's happening or like to catch up on the latest gossipy type posts, which are so frequent on social media. But um, that's been an, an issue. So like, do you have any thoughts on this or any anything that you've had to adjust to in your in your own way of approaching being an author to as regards to self promotion or getting getting out there so that people find about you because you're self published basically you these things that these books are um, <clears throat> are these through um, KDP yes. Lund, Lund, yeah, okay, good. So, yeah, so you publish, this is your own publishing house, so it's through KDP. So yes. you don't have a publisher doing that hat for you. Right. So I'm not good at social media. I try. Uh, I try to make goals, specific goals. Well, I'll spend this much time uh, posting interesting things because mm-hmm. not everything needs to be a sales pitch, of course. I, I want to have a right. following of people who are interested in you know, the Christmas ornament or the first snowfall or the dog across the street or, yeah. and then maybe my book. Right. <laughs> so I try to put uh, goals on it so that I limit my time just hanging out on the gossip side and maximize for a very specific short amount of time, my uh, public relations right. posts. Now, have you thought at all about getting someone else who does this for as a, that's their business and they do it for other authors so that you then plug into a machine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I haven't quite picked someone, mm-hmm. uh, but I have absolutely thought about it just because it is a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work to do that. And it's, I don't think that a person has to do that themselves, especially if you're devoted, you know, plus you've got a full-time job. You do have your family still, you have, your your whatever other hats you've got plus a writer now to pick up where do you squeeze in so it it can rapidly become like okay all i got left to to give is my sleep time and that isn't that's a short-term solution long term is a problem so i think that's something that's um 
for others that are in similar straits to yourself is a, is a viable, it doesn't have to be expensive, but it's, it's a viable solution to getting people to know who you are. I had a um, James Rosona, I think who it was, he, he's kind of like mastered the online because he, he, he's a, a monster writer. He writes a lot of stuff and he started getting to where he was optimizing using Kindle, just selling everything on Kindle mm-hmm. and he's got it down and he, he spends a lot of money on it now, but he makes way more because he's got that, you got that worked out as a, as a thing that he does. So it's not a whole lot of time he spends, but now he's got his formula. He just, he plugs it, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, he keeps up on, you know, whatever the keywords are that he has to use. But I think it's, it's something that anybody that's that's sincere about making it as a as a writer and getting known because there's there's four million books published a year. I mean, that's crazy. Crazy, you know? Yeah. And so how do you can get yourself known if you don't have some way to like I mean, hopefully this this podcast is going to get somebody to go like, wow, yeah, I want to check out Barbara. But it's not something that, you know, I'm able to do for everybody and I wouldn't want to, you know, so I'm not, you know, I've got my, my ability to, to say, yes, I want this or I don't want this. So I think going after and making yourself visible is really important because I know you've experienced the downside of not doing it. You know, people haven't Mm -hmm. discovered you. And I think it's, you Mm -hmm. know, you're an amazing author that people should, you know, read and you've got enough product there that once a person gets the first one, they go, wow, what else has she written? And they're going to find a whole bunch of books, which is a big plus in your favor. Once they discover you, good, I'm going to read next, 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 next. And they can now enjoy you know, a full seven-course meal of Barbara Lund, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I need to uh, make do that. I've started hiring out my covers because – they're just so beautiful when I have a professional doing yeah. I have I hire out the editor because that's who really polishes everything to where it needs to be. I I need to hire PR to really I think so. Yeah. Because it's it's definitely worth reading. And if if people aren't reading, it's because they don't know about it, not for any other mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. You know, and so that's now in the realm of PR and marketing. So that's something that you don't, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. And you're in a, you're in an area there in Utah where there's so many successful writers and um, writing groups that have people that do that. They provide that service. They do that type of stuff to be able to help writers to, you know, get out there and, and do the radio shows, do the whatever post type thing, you know, and get out there and get known. So what do you have, because right now you're, you're still working a full-time job mm-hmm. and you still, your kids, are they still at home? Uh, one of them is. Oh. The other one gets a fair amount of help from us because he's on the autism spectrum. Okay. So you still have, you know, the mom hat and then you've got writing. So at some point, are you going to be in a position where you're able to retire or transition just becoming full-time author or what, what's your... What do you see as your future on that? That's the dream. Uh, if I can get proceeds to take over enough of what I need to be able to retire, then that would be amazing. 
Okay, so. Not this year, though. <laughs> okay, good. So still in the realm of fantasy right now. This is the, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the, we're, we've gone past the last maid standing to the, to the only author working, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a lot of us working. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now, what would you recommend for, you know, we got other people, there's a lot of, of um, writers out there, and like you said earlier, everybody's got a story. So what would you recommend for someone who's got a story, but like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and put in the first plug there for the, the free online writing workshop at writersofthefuture.com. Uh, that's, you've got about 12 videos of Dave Farland, Orson Scott Card, and Tim Powers, all three major successful authors on all the different parts of writing. And you've got about 10 different essays from L. Ron Hubbard written in the 30s and 40s specifically for writers who wanted to, to make, make the grade and, and make it in that, in that arena. So other than that, what would you recommend as things that they should do to, as their, as their next step to make it as a writer? Yeah, that's absolutely where I was going to start. The, the free uh, resources you guys have are amazing. Absolutely incredible. And the online forums where people talk about how to be better and help each other out. Really good people, really friendly, very supportive. I, I'm always very impressed when I go online there. Yeah, that's the risetofuture.com also has the online forum there as well. You can navigate on the left side of the bar that has all the, uh, this podcast, it has the, the online forum, it has a free online workshop. It has also all the past three to nine years of, you can see who the winners are and how many people got their start in this contest, both writers and artists. Anyway, so go ahead. Anything else then? Reading the books, finding the, the voices that the Writers of the Future is looking for is a great way to uh, bring your story up to where it needs to be to enter the contest. Entering the contest is a great way to have deadlines and convince yourself to write more and to be submitting. And then if you win, going to Hollywood's amazing. So <laughs> definitely suggest that it's always good to win. <laughs> yeah. And then in terms of, um, you know, any things that would be good as a, um, I don't know, as some type of a, of a tip on how to be able to overcome one's unwillingness to hold to a schedule or, or discipline, the lack of discipline, maybe, because you're, you're very disciplined, the very nature of your job, you're disciplined, but any tips in terms of like, what you do had to do to get yourself into that position of writing? Um, a couple of different things is going back to priorities. You have to select what really is important to you uh, and you have to put it in that list of priorities and set aside time specifically for that, or it will never happen. Mm -hmm. The other is I actually have a writing group that is an accountability writing group. We almost, don't read each other's writing a whole lot, but we meet every week to talk about how many words we got. And that is super helpful for me because I know I'm going to have that meeting Sunday night and I got to write those words or else I have to put a red instead of a green. <laughs> That's motivational to me. Some people that won't work for, but some people it does. So okay. yeah, find what works for you. Good. Well, I think that's a good, yeah, that's, that sounds, that's very good on that. So in terms of um, finding you, how does somebody find you in your books? I have a wonderful website that I totally did not build myself. It's <laughs> barbaralund.com. 
And that's got all my books. I'm all over Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, Smashbooks. So pretty much you can find me anywhere if you search my name. Oh, that's awesome. So um, as I knew what happened, this hour's coming and gone. And uh, it's been, as I knew it would be, a lot of fun chatting with you, Alex. I really like you a lot, and I like your storytelling. So um, I think other people need to discover you and learn to, to like you as well and enjoy your, your stories. Thanks. So thank you for this time. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're so great. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We're especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Barbara. Thank you.